Fair welcome to the third series in our four-part series. The first one was on the gospel-centered family. Last week was a gospel-centered marriage, which was awesome. If you haven't seen, if you didn't hear that, make sure you listen to it. And then tonight we're talking about gospel-centered parenting. And then next week, the last one in the series, gospel-centered life. So gospel-centered, Jesus is the hero of our story. It's not that we're coming to a parenting seminar and then we become the hero of the story because we're such great parents. gospel centers that Jesus is the hero, and despite our frailties as parents, despite the things that we struggle with and the things that we blow, God wants to bless our parenting because of our faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're single here tonight or don't have kids, thanks for being part of this. Thanks for encouraging the parents, encouraging those who have kids. Um, I was single at uh, about 25 years old. I didn't have any kids. I wasn't married. I'd been saved for about four years, and I really wanted kids. So I had this job that um, allowed me to buy any car I wanted with this stipend every month. So I went out and I bought a brand new gray station wagon, Mercury Marquee with the maroon interior. And man, I was driving that thing around like a flag. Single guy wants to get married and have lots of kids. And I don't think Wendy ever actually knew that car, so that wasn't what worked, but We've been so blessed to have a family, to have our kids and our grandkids. We love being parents. Uh, We love talking about parenting. Uh, We've also had thorough times of being frustrated as a parent. We've had thorough times of arguing as different perspectives, especially I think when we're dealing with a little bit of the um, discipline issues. We just had different views on that. So our hope tonight is that there's some practical takeaways. Not necessarily that we're going to share how we've done it perfect, but even in sharing some of the struggles we've had, that there's some takeaways and things we can apply to our families. Um, Parenting classes usually are divided into two things. I don't know about you guys what you've done or what uh, seminars you've been to, but usually it's elementary age and teen because it's a completely different animal dealing with elementary age kids and dealing with teens. I like tonight that we're talking really about the full spectrum because when we were parenting our kids, it felt a lot like we'd, be, we'd find something that worked and we'd be doing it and the kids were like way older than what we were doing but it was working so we weren't going to change and I think it's good to have conversation with somebody that's old, that has older kids because it's like we wanted a, um, I wanted a minivan really bad and then I realized at a certain point I want a sedan because I don't need a minivan anymore. And I think having this conversation with, about little kids and about older kids, hopefully we can glean some things that way. So the format for tonight, I'm going to share a little bit out of Psalms 126, and then a little bit out of 127 and 128. So if you want to open your Bibles or your phones, Psalms 126 is really where we're going to start. And then uh, I'm going to share a few minutes. We'll invite the panel up, and then I have a few verses that we'll use as sort of a jumping-off point for the discussion with the panel. So I mean, we're going to start in 126, but what got me interested in this particular passage of Psalms was Psalms 128, where it said, your children will be like olive plants around the table. And I just love that picture because sometimes when you're going through the difficult times of parenting, you know, you don't see that. And it's, we're going to get more into that as we get into Psalms 128, but that's what started it. And then I started looking at Psalms 127 in Psalms 126, and realized these are the songs of ascent. So the children of Israel, as they would go back to, the, to Jerusalem and go to the temple every year for the, for the three major feasts, they would be singing these songs as they went back to the temple. And I thought about, we don't really have that. Like, you guys were coming to church tonight. Were you, is there a series of songs of ascent that you come to Calvary Chapel? Or you go on a long trip? I mean, I'm embarrassed. The only thing I could think of that that Americans do is they sing 99 bottles of beer on the wall. And I thought, now that's definitely not something we want to compare to this. But these are songs that they were singing. And Psalms 126 is kind of like the the part, I'll read it. Verse 5 says, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Psalms 126, I'm starting in verse 5. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping Bearing seed for sowing shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves or his fruit with him. Now, we had, four ki- we, had, we had four kids. We have four kids. And I can remember I'm going to the pool with four children. And I can remember looking like at couples that were sitting at the pool 
in one of those lounge chairs with a little Diet Coke, and they were reading. And I can remember, you guys that have little kids now, you're like thinking, when was the last time you read at the pool when you had your kids there? And there's these sacrifices that we make if we are going to be good parents, and the parenting process can be really difficult. I've joked with our kids about, like, I was cranky for 12 years from the time they were in diapers until, and I can remember one time driving through Chicago when our first child, we only had one, we were driving through Chicago, and Beth was in the back, and she had to have two binkies to be happy, two, two pacifiers. And somehow, as we're driving through Chicago, one of the pacifiers fell out. And she literally screamed. It, the traffic was crazy. We didn't know where we were. And I just, I think there's a part of, of getting to the place where you have these olive plants that are growing up around your table, that the sowing into the lives of our kids can be really difficult, but it's super worth it. It's super worth it. So Psalms 126, 5 through 6 says, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. So we invest into our kids' lives and live for our kids. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Wendy grew up in a, in a home that had a very strong Christian family, and Wendy's mom and dad, they sowed into their kids' lives. Wendy was the baby, Wenna. She was the baby, and her parents sowed into her life. So when I married into her family, not coming from a Christian background, I can remember Bill giving to me, just pouring into my life. I can remember at one point we were missionaries beginning our career, and we were living with Bill and Helen, living with mother-in-law and father-in-law, and Bill would take us out to prime rib dinners and just, just poured out love on us. And I can remember one time I was in the car in his, in his uh, Bonneville, and I, and I was a little emotional. I said, Bill, you know, I'm not paying rent. I'm not helping. I'm not, you're just blessing us. I can't pay you back. And I think I've told this before, but Bill said something that was so profound when we talk about sowing into the lives of our kids. He looked at me and he said, John, pay back my grandchildren. And that's, that is how we get to that point where our kids are like olive branches, olive plants around us as we invest that kind of investment into our kids' lives. And it's totally worth it. So really, there's one common denominator in good parents, or one of the common denominators in good parents is a sacrificial living for their kids. So I'm going to read through a few verses in Psalms 127, just kind of context, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up in Psalms 128. 127, if you're reading along, in verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for he gives his beloved sleep. This one's going to talk about, this is the chapter that talks about our kids being like arrows. And those of you who have young children, just when I mention sleep, you're, some of you are just going, yes, that's what I want. It says, verse 3, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. So Psalms 127, I just did, read that as a background, kind of a young father's psalm. You've got this strength to pull back the arrow, and you've got these children that are like arrows. And now Psalms 128 is going to be a little bit different. That's the one that sort of I, I wanted to just leave us with. Psalms 128 says in verse 1, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. One thing that struck me with that is the very first part where it talks about the fear of the Lord. You know, our kids, when they're younger, they don't really know how deep our spiritual walk is. They have no idea. They're just looking at mom and dad. They wouldn't know deep spiritual walk and a reverence for God from whatever. As they turn into teenagers, they begin to recognize, you know, the fear of the Lord. At first I thought, well, let's just talk about respect, respecting God. The fear of the Lord 
perfect definition for that is a reverence for God that impacts the way we live. And our kids take note when they see that in our lives. A reverence for God that impacts the way we live. Perfect example, Exodus, when the, the Hebrew midwives were afraid of the, Israel, of the, um, of the Egyptians, but they, it says they feared because they feared God, they let the firstborn children, the firstborn males live. So I just think fear of the Lord is an, a reverence for God that greatly impacts the way we live. Then it talks about our wife being like a grapevine. Wendy and I just got back from vacation. We went to Kelowna. I don't know if you've been up there in Canada, but it is just vineyard after vineyard after vineyard. And we had dinner in one of the restaurants right inside the vineyard. So there's just all these grapes just bursting out of the vineyard. Beautiful view of the lake. This is a picture of God's blessing in a home where there's the fruitfulness, not just of having kids. Obviously, that is implied here. But the fruitfulness of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control bursting out of the vine and in the heart of the home as the wife. And then the other part uh, talks about olive trees. So your children should be like olive plants all around your table. You know, each one of those olive plants, if the, ol- the olive trees grow like to be a thousand years old. So they're not quite as old as, as some of us here tonight, but they grow, to, they grow really, really old. And then when they get old, they get kind of gnarly, and the center kind of gets, I think, a little bit rotted out. And it's just this gnarly old tree that's grown up that's still bearing fruit. But then at the base are all these shoots that are, that are, that are growing as fast and as hard as they can up towards the sun with all the fresh leaves and the fresh buds And at any moment, if that olive tree were to go down, those shoots are standing there ready to take over. And it's just, it's this beautiful picture, but it comes as we go through the the part of sacrificing and living for our kids. So really in closing, before we get into the panel, I just want to talk a little bit about that, that, that energy that we put into our kids is worth it. Um, My wife and I have planted blueberries in our backyard and you know, we had to go buy the plants, we had to fix the ground, we had, to, we had to trim the plants, we had to do all this work. I mean, this last year, our blueberry plants were so crowded. Our grandkids would come over and it's just like, the, the benefits of sacrificing for our kids is that we get to receive this amazing, fruitful life later on. So at this point, I want to introduce our panel. I'd like to ask Wendy and Bobby and Gabina and Janelle and Christian to come on up. Would you guys welcome our, our panel as they come up? So first of all, thanks so much for being willing to come up here in the, uh, the limelight and be the panel. I appreciate that. First of all, I'd want to kind of just ask, maybe tell us a little bit about your families, how many kids you have, what might be a little bit your unique story, and just a brief sort of little bit about yourselves. I don't know where you guys want to start. Well, you already know some of our family, so I'll make it quick. We have four kids, three girls and one boy, all married. Um, and we, um, the uniqueness about our family is that we raised our kids literally in the jungle. Now, is she talking about more, Covington, more. or what are we talking about here? Panama. We lived in the jungle, um, literally. We flew in a small six-seater Cessna, landed on a grass airstrip. We had a home there. Then we hiked three hours to a home that was uh, made out of bark with tin roof where we would gather our water off of the roof. So that was how they were raised, their lifestyle. No computer, no telephones. It was perfect. There was no internet. There was no cell phone. It was absolutely perfect. So that's a little bit of our uniqueness. Well, we're raising our kids in a jungle, too. It's just, <laughs> it's just here in Renton. Um, we have three children. Today is our youngest's birthday, so our baby is now seven, um, and then we have a nine-year-old and a ten-year-old. Okay. That's it. So we have, Gabina and I, we have three adult children. Our oldest is 25, our middle child is 20, and our youngest is 18. And our middle child has blessed us with a grandchild a week and a, half, a, week and a day ago. So. so we actually have a picture of your grandchild because I thought we'd get this out of the way 
Bobby and Gavina are only going to talk about their grandchild, so we have a picture up there for you guys. Yep. He was like 20 minutes old. Okay, so let's start with the first question, which is, um, you can put the verse up there for Deuteronomy 6, but it's, how has it been for you guys in the giant task of teaching your kids about God? Deuteronomy talks about teaching when you stand, when you sit, when you rise. Um, just maybe uh, any, con- any thoughts that you have about like teaching your kids um, what's, been, what's worked for you, what hasn't worked for you? So, um, my wife and I, we've been saved seven years so as far as teaching them like you know the word of God and and God's presence uh, we've had a we've been on a fast track right but most importantly what what we found out that that helps for us is you know we have to walk the walk right I can't just be a Christian at church or somewhere else you know I need to be a Christian full-time and that's teaching them because I'm not we're not being somebody else at different times we're being who God called us to be and trying to be sensitive to his will and trying to understand his will and them knowing that you know mom and dad are are doing that Mm -hmm. okay you can take the microphone for me I start to talk too much um I think when Christian and I had kids we had our, we're blessed with our first child. We, we really went into parenting knowing that um, we wanted to raise our kids with a confident faith, with a, with a strong, strong foundation and transfer our faith to them and knowing that they're their own people and they're going to make their own, own choice down the road. But we wanted to instill in them that, yeah. that strong foundation. So we were, we've been very intentional um, since day one, you know, um, and I, you know, in keeping with the principles of Deuteronomy six, it's not just dinner table Christians. Yeah, right. It's not just sitting, and and that's a very intentional time for us with our kids at the dinner table. We've since, I don't know, since our youngest was in the, our oldest was in the high chairs, we would we would use that time after dinner to read Bible stories, you know. And as the kids have grown, that time after dinner becomes more meaty family devotions. Um, but it doesn't just stay at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not putting that into practical application, and it's kind of like Bob, what Bobby was saying, if it's, that's the only place it's occurring, then that's not keeping with the principles. That's just, you have to take it out into the world, and our lives have to reflect how important these spiritual disciplines are and yeah. how important our relationship with the Lord is. So we've been very intentional in hopes that they'll choose God and follow Him and be strong disciples for Him. Yeah, those, you're talking, too, about having personal devotions with your family together. Now, we had four kids, and we wanted to do that, mm-hmm. and we did at times, but it was, it was always a struggle because there's, like, this chaos that would happen whenever we'd, we'd get to that point. So I think there were times when we would have our kids, and we would we'd line them up, and we'd, be, we'd just read passages of Scripture. And one thing we, we found that we would sometimes ask them what words meant, and if they were words, they were Bible words, but they were sort of not controversial, but like we'd line them up and we'd go, okay, now do you guys know what adultery means? And we'd ask the youngest one first and they'd go, I don't know, but the older ones would kind of know it's coming to you. So one thing we did is we, we just read through scripture and words that were, you know, difficult words. We had freedom just talking openly about it with our kids. So did you guys have any, um, like traditions or resources that helped you with your kids? Uh, growing up, our family, we always, we talked about, uh, just now we were talking about uh, dinnertime Christians, but that was a big, that was a big deal growing up for myself and my family, and we ate dinner together as a family, and we did devotions every night as a family, Wow! and it, I was thinking about Garrett, I think two weeks ago, he talked about, is your family a team, is your family a team? I just kind of thinking about what does that exactly mean, but I kind of think it's what's your, who do you identify with? Certainly yeah. identify as children of God, but what else do I identify as? And a lot of people identify with, with a team or maybe their friends at school, but I think because my family broke bread together and we did the devotions together, that's always been maybe a stronger bond. And as a parent now, I see how important that is because 
I, we are in this position to have a relationship with our child that nobody else is going to have aside from God and maybe their spouse someday and their own children. And so we're in that best position to establish that relationship. And then, like Janelle was talking about, to hopefully instill or transfer some of that faith or give them the best chance. And so we've been super intentional as a, as a family from our oldest is Reagan. So when she was in the high chair, we have, we've pushed other things in our life out of the way of dinner. So, and it's kind of this long view of my kids, they're not going to be division one uh, karate champs or <laughs> tennis players. They're, they're, they're super kids. But when I'm lying there on my deathbed, looking back at my life, I'm not going to say, I wish I would have gotten my kids to three more practices, but I will say, I wish I spent more time with, with no phones, with no computers, yeah. where we're just talking about our lives. And then at the end of dinner, we talk in, in at dinner, but certainly then after dinner, it's very intentional. We use, we use a book, we work through it, we open the Bible, we ask questions, and we converse as a family. And everybody partakes. And I'm, I'm running a little long probably on this, but it's, um, if you spend 15 minutes with your kids talking about this stuff, that's an hour and 45 minutes of very focused talk about God, and I think of like the time at church, Janelle teaches Sunday school here, and they have an hour, hour and a half maybe, but it's, and Janelle does an, an awesome job, and sometimes I'm in there helping out a little bit, um, but there's, there is side chatter in there, there's, it's a classroom full of kids, so there's not necessarily that one-on-one -on -one time, so what you have at home is, is special, and church should be supplementing what's, if you can, ch church should be supplementing what's occurring at home. And um, that's, yeah. Yeah, that is really good. And that's kind of the fruit, too, of both of you growing up in strong Christian homes. I think you have to really commit to having those times with your family. You have to prioritize it. Yeah, I think for us, one of the things we did was when you would read homeschool books. Yeah, we were talking about it as to whether we really had family traditions or not because... Um, in the jungle, uh, you just never knew when you were going to have someone on your porch for two to six hours. I mean, and um, I remember one time I was thinking, okay, it's, it's afternoon, evening. He was off at a study with someone, and I thought, we can make cookies and with my kids and have so much fun. And right as we started, um, someone came to our porch. And uh, the thing about our house is being made out of bark. You can look through your, the walls because it, it, when it unfolds, it cracks open. So, so there's no point in thinking you could hide in your home because you couldn't. Um, so it was hard, but we had, I had to give that up and go to be with the people. And so that's, we, it was hard to have traditions, but we did have a Christian curriculum that we used because we homeschooled. Um, and it had read-alouds, um, and it was wonderful because every night we would do that, and the kids would love it. That was that was one of our traditions that they loved. That, and they were, it was a Christian homeschool curriculum, so um, a lot of the books were history type, but they almost all had a basis in the Christian faith. That's good. I can say, as like Bobby said, we've been, um, we've been Christians for seven years. But as growing up, I remember my grandma always, you know, talking about God, and we've, she was a big believer. But when the kids were little, we've always had made sure that we had dinner together That's as huge. a family. And when Bobby was home, not working, he was, we had dinner together. And we've always had that. And when the kids were little, we were always sing like Sunday school songs with them, even though I wasn't a believer, but I always wanted them to know that there was a God out there, that they, want, they needed to believe that there was someone out there that they that was protecting them. As they got older and we knew more about God, we wanted to know, you know, show them more, read with them, and ask them questions and be very bold and open with them. We don't know, but we're learning. We're in this walk together. Yeah, that's awesome. So have you yeah. guys found anything that's helped you develop a hunger for God's Word in your kids? I mean, I... I think sometimes kids, uh, you know, they hear the Bible stories, the regular Bible stories, and they do have a hunger for the Word. If you share scriptures with them that they've never heard before, they do. You just have to sort of 
find ways to give them, help them to understand they can ask good questions. Uh, I can say with the two boys, my daughter, she's, um, we're still praying for her, and I have the faith that God one day will bring her to his feet, and he'll serve him 100%. But my two boys, they do, and it's amazing to hear them sometimes talking to other people, and it's like the Bible's not boring. There's a lot mm -hmm. of amazing stories in there that you wouldn't even, it's the best book you can ever read. And to right. hear them and to know that the hunger that they have for the Bible, you know, to learn more about the Word of God, it's, it's just amazing That's to cool. see that. And their dad loves to read a lot. They don't get it so much from me, but Bobby loves reading and explaining what he's learned and everything, and it's just amazing. That's cool. Thank you. So talk a little bit about the difference between formal teaching and just day-to-day -day teaching your kids as you walk, stand, sit. Uh, I mean, I thought of one thing for us is that we were in a mission organization, it was a faith mission organization, so we, didn't, we had to trust the Lord for what God would provide. We got into this little tradition with my son where whenever we'd go out to look for soccer cleats or running track shoes, we'd pray before we got, went into, the, into Fred Meyer or wherever we were going. And it was just sort of this tradition, and even to this day, you know, he's an adult, but we had this thing where we would ask the Lord to provide, and it was just a, you know, day-to-day -day family stuff that helped him to see it's really God who provides for us. So any other, like, traditions or things or things about um, just day-to-day -day teaching your kids? I think for me personally, um, one thing that we've always done is made sure we got to church Wednesday and Sunday and even when we, the two of us, well, I think even when we had kids in the home, we go on vacation, we go to church, we go find a church, and that's thankful to him, not really me, but I follow along. <laughs> Sometimes start out with a bad attitude, but it definitely changes. Um, but I'm just really glad we did that, because I even see in my kids now, they have that thought in their head that they are going to go to church. And, um, of course, they married boys, the girls that have the same upbringing, so that's been a blessing. Um, but to the thing for me about formal teaching and then day-to-day -day teaching is I was thinking this through earlier today, and I thought what I really wanted for my kids was them to um, know Jesus and have a hunger for his word, um, but the way they're going to know that is by seeing it in us, and it's the same thing as, you know, Paul wanting us to imitate him, and Paul's imitating Christ, and we just need to imitate Jesus, and Lately, um, some of you might know Anna and Elliot live in Spokane, but Elliot's on the um, Air Force Reserve, so he comes home every once in a while. Um, so the last time he came home, they um, and I've seen this before, but they were staying at our house, and Anna, when she gets up with her little one, she gets her cup of coffee, and she's got her Bible and her notebook and her pen. And I, it just warmed my heart, because when I was a little girl, I saw my mother do that every morning. Hmm. Every morning, I'd get up, get ready for school, and there was my mom sitting at the kitchen table with her Bible and her journal and a cup of coffee. And so I did that because I imitated my mom. And now I see my youngest doing that same thing. And it, I think imitating Jesus to your kids, however that pans out, they do see that. Yeah. And at some point, the prayer for them is that they make that decision to do the same thing as to follow Christ. That's good. Let's move to the next verse, Hebrews uh, 12, 5. And the question is, what are some things that have helped you when you discipline your kids? So we'll probably have some conversations about what you do to discipline, what things have helped you, um, what, what challenges have you had in disciplining your kids? Or getting your husband to obey, either one of those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, you know... Difficulties disciplining, I think um, one of the things that we try and focus on, and sometimes in the heat of the moment, it's always not easy. I pray for grace all the time. Um, but we don't want our kids just to be rule followers. We don't want right. them to just, okay, Christianity, or these are our behaviors that we need to do and check the box. It's You want that heart transformation. Um, so we try to discipline with within the context of gospel identity and getting our kids to think through um, so that it becomes a heart matter, so that they're wanting to behave how God expects us mm -hmm. to behave as followers of him. Um, not just stop doing that, 
checking those boxes of, of, of yelling at them, but getting them to talk through, why are you doing this? You know, what, how would this make you feel if someone did this to you? It just, it's that critical thinking and, and getting them to think about it from a heart issue, mm-hmm. um, as a heart issue. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, with what worked for us, it's different stages, right? You know, you got baby, newborn. I mean, you're not going to discipline a baby, but um, as they get older, it changes. And how you're going to discipline them, how you're going to talk to them, it changes throughout their whole lives. Um, and you know, we're a little bit different because um, our oldest is not my biological daughter. So, you know, when my dad, when me and Gabina hooked up and we got married, my dad was like, you know, you need to treat her differently in the sense because there's a different kind of respect, right? And because she's a girl, she's not uh, biologically yours, you're raising her, but you need to come at a different tactic than you would with the boys. You know, the boys, they're boys and um, different kind of discipline and I think every family is different in a sense, and every kid is different, every person is different. How we're going to discipline them is, it varies different different ways. Just with our three kids alone, one of them, we just take the door off the hinges and she <laughs> behaves. The other one, you just talk to him and he's like, okay, dad. And the other one, you take his freedom away, like put him in the middle of the room, crisscross applesauce, and that's like, torture for him so it's just understanding your kids and knowing yeah. them a little bit and just kind of what makes them tick and use those tools to to help them along the way yeah so what about being on the same page because I know when Wendy and I were first married and had our first kids I was probably more of a disciplinarian and she probably would be more to give grace have you found that you have different opinions and you kind of come together or who or do you are you similar in your views on discipline um, yes, we were not on the same page. <laughs> a lot of the times I did not agree on how Bobby spoke to the kids or how even he looked at the kids. First of all, because I carried them for nine months, <laughs> I delivered my babies. Birth, you know, when you have birth pains, they're just horrible. And, um, but I remember us sitting down and talking to him, the only way this is going to work is we have to be on the same page. If I disagree on the way you talk to the kids, or you disagree on the way I talk to the kids, or the way I discipline the kids, we need to be on closed doors, and we need to talk about this. We don't talk in front of the kids. Right on. We swallow whatever we have to say, and we talk about it. Yeah, and good next advice. Time, we need to be on the same, you know, I know the way you feel, you know how I feel, but it's being on the same page because if mom says no, it's no. If dad says no, it's no. They can't go back and forth because my daughter did that a lot of times. But dad, yeah, right. no. Mom, no. That's really good. So were you guys on the same, same page? Same answer. <laughs> uh, but that, that is the same answer. Um, and I think one thing that helps is to have spiritual conversations with your spouse and right. kind of have a, a game plan. And if you're both sort of, if God's your, your uh, North Star, then you're probably going to the same direction. And certainly there's times when, when Janelle will come down maybe a little bit more harsh than I would have, but that's, and the die's been cast, and too bad for that kid, because that's, <laughs> that's the way it is. He's, he's the nice one. Well, that, what, I think what I hear you saying, too, is that's the way it is, because... If he was harsh on the kids too, for me to contradict it right then and there would be a bad thing. It would just give a bad example to the kids. And I just wanted to say too that when you're different like that, as I'm sure we all are, um, we learn from one another. Yeah. Um, I'm very, very thankful that he was as strong of a disciplinarian as he was, um, especially in our lifestyle because we had a lot of things we had to uh, navigate that you don't normally have. Um, but but I'm also thankful that God gave me the side of grace, and then it's just coming together on that yeah, and learning right. from each other. I mean, the huge part is parenting younger kids. One of you might be better at it. Yeah. Parenting teenagers, like I was not good at parenting teenagers. 
I was okay at parenting younger kids. Teenagers, that's when I think Wendy almost had to do an intervention to like, okay, chill. Every time they go to the movie theater, there is not a boy waiting to meet them there. Okay, just relax. So yeah, the diversity. And also uh, culturally, right? We're, even though we're both Latino or Hispanic, um, even within the countries in Central America, it's totally different beliefs, totally different raising styles, and that's across everywhere, right? Um, so it's just coming to an understanding of this is how my parents raised me, but this is how your mom raised you, but it's totally different, but we could take from our parents and what's going to work best or try to work best for our, for our children. Okay, let's go to the next question. Anything else you want to say on discipline? I read, I was looking at one website, it's things you should know about spanking your children. The first thing it says is you should try it on yourself. So that's just a piece of information. Uh, let's go to the next question. Uh, uh, Hebrews 12, 5 and 11 talks about, and you have not, you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My, oh no, excuse me, I'm going to the next one. Colossians 3, 21. This one's one of our favorite verses when it talks about teenagers because it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And the question I want to ask is, what are some of the ways that you've found that you don't want to unnecessarily provoke your kids? It's not just teens because I know you guys are preteens, but what are some ways that you, want to not you, you don't want to unnecessarily provoke your kids? For me, one of the things I wrote down right off the bat was, if you can solve the problem with a $10 trip to the drugstore, like if you have teenagers, you will never be able to find your scissors, your stapler, or your fingernail clippers. <laughs> and if you put those in a certain place, they will borrow them. They will never put them back. I was constantly frustrated about my hairbrush. Where's my hairbrush? And we kind of, it's like $10, you go to the drugstore and fix it. What are things that you unnecessarily provoke your kids that if you could kind of, you know, the verse says don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. What are some things you might not do? I think right now with, our, with Xavier, our son that's a dad, um, is knowing when to keep our mouth shut, right? You know, when they're doing things, him and his, his um, the baby's mom is, when they're changing a diaper or they change it this way, like, all right, babe, let's just calm down. Let's just, we, I know we would do it a little bit different, but they have to learn, right? So it's, so it's taking a step back and not provoking an unnecessary, like, um, unnecessary comment that, hey, we have to let them grow. We have to let them grow into it. Yeah. Uh, we're seasoned, well-seasoned parents, but, you know, they want to do things a little bit differently, and that's okay, right? It's yeah. not going to do any harm to the baby, um, but it's not provoking those, those unnecessary conversations. Like, you know, let's just sit back and see how it happens. You know, when they mess up, then they mess up. That's how they're going to learn yeah. as being parents, um, and that's how we learn in our position as being grandparents is that it's not our position to raise the kid. It's mm -hmm. our position to love on the kid, spoil the kid, and provoke the parents in a different way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just answer just generally, who's more likely to be the lecturer in your family? Okay. Mm -hmm. Gabina, are you less the lecture giver? And Christian? I'm not raising my hand yet. She's telling me to raise my hand. So uh, Christian, didn't you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, he'll he'll give me looks, and I'll know that it's gone about <laughs> ten minutes too long. <laughs> yeah. So our kids, our kids could pretty much number my lectures. Dad's doing number twenty-eight. Dad's doing number. He's pulling number thirty. My advice for teenagers is the lectures aren't the most effective. Yeah. Like I would take Beth to the park, and I would park our station wagon, and I would make her sit in the car while I lectured her for extensive lectures, and it did more on my side. It didn't, it wasn't super productive, so I would probably lecture less. That would be my, my ideas. Any other ideas on things you want to not do to not provoke, unnecessarily provoke our children? What about, let's talk about clothing choices and your teenage daughters. 
lecture, uh, I mean, that's a tough one because I don't know if you want to answer that one, but just the whole deciding what you're going to have World War III over. We're super blessed because our daughter is a tomboy. So she's always been into sports. So like gym shorts and t-shirts and hats. And she's always had that um, in her. But when she dresses up, you know, her mom is there to like, that she's elegant and classy. Um, you know, but there's a couple years there where I was like, girl, what are you wearing? But it wasn't my conversation to have. It was, it was, it was my conversation with Gabina, and then Gabina speaking to her that you know it's you're showing a little bit too much, and that's you know it makes your dad uncomfortable. And if your dad's uncomfortable, then there's other people that are going to be uncomfortable. And I'm pretty chill with clothing, so yeah. if it makes me uncomfortable, it's 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 got to be addressed. That wasn't a huge challenge. What about cleaning your room? And this is kids or older kids. Clean How much of room? a yeah, keeping the room clean. How much would you? I give you... up that. That no, no contest. All right, Kavina. That was the battle that I will fight constantly with them. Okay. And Bobby one day says, Kavina, choose your battles. And that one, you are never going to win. <laughs> and now I go to Xavier's apartment. That apartment spot is clean. Oh man, yeah. Right. So I'm like, hmm, I change here. And I hear my daughter, her house is, I've been to her place, spotless clean. I'm like, what happened here? Yeah. But it's, you know, it's, those are things that they know how to do. They just choose not to do it at your house. Yeah. Yeah. Provoke us. Yeah. 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 So I think for us, one of the things is, uh, you know, kids, our teens get embarrassed really easy. Right? They're embarrassed by us. No matter what we do, they're embarrassed by us. But we can provoke that unnecessarily. Like, I remember looking at pictures of us as parents of our younger children. And man, there were some, there were some scary uh, uh, dressing behaviors. Like, I mean, basically when you have little kids, you're pretty much everything is spit up or diaper stuff. Or, and you just don't care. But when you have teenagers... Uh, you got to up your game a little bit and try to not be as embarrassing in the way you dress or the way you look because um, they, they're just, just seeing you walk in the room, they're like, they're embarrassed by mom and dad. So that would be one thing we did. Okay, let's go to the next one in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 11 through 13. And this one, we're going to ask the question. This is a, probably one of the toughest questions, I think, in the panel. How have you been able to get your kids to trust you and open up to you. Have you been able to get your kids to trust you and open up to you? And the, the verse is really interesting on this. It says, you know, Paul had a problem with the Corinthians and that they were, he was their leader, but they were constantly complaining about him. And he said to them, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, open wide our hearts to you. We've, we have not, we're not withholding our affection from you, but you're withholding yours from ours as far as a fair exchange. I speak to you as my children. Open wide your hearts to us also. So what, and this is not just teens, but kids. How, how can you, what helps you to keep your kids open and talking to you and not going dark about what's really going on in their lives? I can say what's helped um, us before being a Christian. Um, every day I, before they went to bed, I will always talk to the kids and when I dropped them off from school and picked them up from school, I will always ask them, how was your day? Right. And that was good. I'm like, well, what was good about it? And, you know, like kind of dig into what, was, what did they do good or what was one good thing that happened at school. And continually, and when they asked me questions, I was, I already um, kind of knew that they had asked someone. And they wanted to know if I would answer them honestly, or I would try to cover up the answer to make up an answer mm -hmm. with them. And I got to say that there's things that sometimes I'd be like, uh, do I really want to hear you tell me this? Or right. do I just want you to hold that, what you're saying? But I think our, I can say for me and Bobby, our kids, they will sit down and they will be kind of 
blunt and honest and freely will talk to us about some of their stuff going on. Not completely everything, because your kids will never tell anything, just like we did. We never told our parents everything. But um, there's stuff that our kids do tell us, and it's like, I don't know if I want to hear all of that, but they, you know, and then we just try to consult them. And what, we, what I've done is like, you know what, sometimes I tell them, let's pray on it. Ask God, pray on it. Pray before you make any decision, before you make any decision. The thought is good, but just pray and ask God to guide you in every decision that you make. Because he's the one that will open every door for you. That's really cool. I don't know what you guys have done because I think for us, our kids, there's more of a tendency to not want to talk at times. And I think at one point we talked about um, trying to have four conversations that were not threatening to every one that we talked about subjects that were controversial. Because I think, you know, some of us are sort of always meeting with our kids and saying, okay, let's go to the next level. Let's talk about college. Let's talk about... And sometimes if, you know, if you have four meetings where you're just being there and talking to them, maybe that's what you guys have done. Then that fourth, that fifth one where it's a little more serious, it's less, less threatening. Yeah, when... Um raising our, our when our kids were younger um and I wasn't a believer it was hard for me actually I have uh, I never told my kids that I loved them right I had like hey I love you or I'm proud of you or I was never affectionate to to them I, to Bianca I was because I know that she needed to hear that as a as a growing woman and becoming a woman but as my boys I really didn't tell them I loved them until I was a believer. And a lot of that came from my dad, right? My dad didn't tell me he loves me. You know, my mom did, but my dad wasn't. So I, that picture of us, what a father was, was emotionless. Um, the provider always bringing home the money or provide, uh, you know, I'm going to sit on my lazy boy and don't touch me, you know, go bring me a beer, I'm going to watch the game or whatever. Um, but then understanding what love was or love, what love is through Christ, you know, so I have to tell my boys that I love them. And that opened up our trust, um, them just hearing that, hey, my dad does love me. You know, my dad, I could trust my dad with um, some intimate feelings or intimate stuff. And it's a work in progress, right? Now I could just tell my boys, I'm like, hey, what are you doing? What, how are you feeling? Um, you know, Dre, he's out at Young Life Camp right now, and he calls me. He's like, hey, Dad, I'm just going through some stuff right now. You know, help me out, or what should I do? And it's, it's exciting, right, that your kids want to, that my kids want to actually tell me their, their, their feelings, like, even to a point like right now that I don't have a close relationship with my father to where I could just tell him how I feel is what it is to be a grandpa or raising teens. We still don't have that relationship. But, you know, I tell my dad, I love you, dad. You know, and he's like, well, OK, whatever. <laughs> but it, you, I still have that inside me, but I can't I have I had to break the cycle of that intimate um, relationship with our children um, and now I see Xavier like he's talking to the baby and he's like I love you and I'm like I wish I could have done that when they were younger but it's amazing to see it how how that that um, how it reproduces the love of Christ just reprodu reproduces in teaching our children right and them captivating that that you, we need to tell our kids to that we love them, because we do, but it just opens up that trust. Yeah. Yeah, one of the questions I had is about overreacting. I think if you have kids that share something with you, I mean, you're probably thinking, I overreacted. I, I overreact. I mean, I, kids share stuff, and I'm like, and just being able to not even not overreact, but not even a normal reaction, because sometimes you just have to be stone-faced. I think you were kind of alluding to that, that... And let them let them share stuff because if you react, they'll say, "Okay, we can't share that anymore." So, what about this whole idea of threatening threatening your kids? If you do this, 
then this is going to happen as opposed to saying uh, repeatedly. I mean, this is when they're getting older. They're getting closer to adult age. Saying repeatedly, hey, no matter what you get into, you need to know that mom and I are going to be there to help you. Do you, have you thought about the difference between like threatening and saying that? Or I mean, for you guys, it's probably not even anywhere near in your in your horizon because sometimes I threaten. <laughs> I try not to, but I, I think you know, at at the, the the littles, our littles, it's we're setting the groundwork for that, right? Hopefully that. Hopefully we don't threaten. Hopefully it's setting the platform for open conversation. And right. again, changing the heart transformation. It's not just a behavioral fix, an immediate fix. It's that heart transformation. So hopefully when they are teens and um, they are getting ready to go into adulthood, we can have conversations with them rather than instructional one-way talks that yeah. they tune out. Yeah. How have you had, like, we're talking about how to keep your teens your kids trusting you and being open to you have you used family vacations in ways that have been effective to build that that trust and that relationship vacations family vacations to build that i mean i'm i'm kind of coming at it from we did not do a lot of family vacations when our kids were younger and as they became teens it just seemed really really important to think about what they would want to do and get them in a place where they could hang out with other friends and have you used that in effective ways? Yeah, we, yeah, I, we put a big focus on. It's, it's kind of yet another kind of like dinner time. I, we see our, our family vacation almost as a sacred thing where we go to the Central Oregon Coast. We always go to the same place. And it's a special time. And again, there's not a whole lot of devices or computers. It's we do a lot of hikes, a lot of board games. And it's, the focus is the family. And um, I think it maybe doubles back on a lot of these other things, which is the, the uh, just spending time together, developing trust, and modeling that. I think of our relationship with God. I can trust him. And so the idea is you want to develop this relationship where your kids trust you. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what allows them to, to I hope, <laughs> open up later in life. And then I'll double back a little bit further. And that was the... Uh, the about um, provoking. And uh, Janelle and I, we like to sometimes like verbal judo a little bit where she'll say something kind of, where I like, ah, I can get her here on this one because she said something kind of silly and I can, and it's, it's hilarious because I'm very good at it. And, uh, but with kids, they'll say things that are even sillier and you think, man, I could pin this kid on this thing. I can really, I can annihilate this kid. Um, but are you really building trust with the yeah, kid? Amen. Is that why God gave me this kid is so I could do this flex on him and, you know, make him look like a fool to his brother and sister or make her look yeah. like a fool to her. You can't, it's, you can't do that. So it's, it's God, God ordered things. And that's, this, Janelle and I were talking about that earlier. It's this very powerful thing where God, he, out of all the people, out of all the combinations, out of all the ways he could have, put people in our lives. He gave us our kids, and they're ours, and I need to model this relationship with them like God has his relationship with with us. Yeah, that's a really good example of unnecessarily provoking. Yeah. Um, So our our kids are kind of spoiled as far as food. Um, I'm a chef, um, so we always had, not always, but always prepared meals for them. Um, But for their birthdays, even now that they're adults, we try to make it a a tradition in the sense to where whoever the birthday is that we go out to eat where this person wants to eat. And regardless of what we think of the restaurant, (laughs) it's this kid wants to eat at this restaurant and that's where we're all gonna go. And the birthday child has to lead us in prayer with, um, with the meal. And we don't have, we haven't had, we've had one family vacation um, two years ago when we went down to Central America, um, which was real cool. Um, But we try to hold that every year, even though our daughter lives in Bellingham and she comes down and we just go out to the five of us and um, that's getting bigger and bigger. So um, it's just, our kids look forward to that. 
where they're already thinking about it. Where, where can I go? Where's the budget at? Where can, where can we go eat? And so it makes it exciting for them. And, you know, we love to eat. That's cool. Let's go to the, we have two more questions. Let's go to 1 Peter 3.15. And the question here is, what has helped you to give your kids answers to tough questions they have about why you believe what you believe? What's helped you to give your kids answers to tough questions about why you believe what you believe? And... Okay, I'll try not to talk too long. <laughs> um, this, this is a huge passion um, that the Lord has placed on my heart. Um, and I, I think one of the things that, that we do that I feel is really important, you know, in this day and age, uh, if we don't take the time to talk to our kids, yeah. they may not be searching for answers or think they, they have questions, but the questions will find them um, with the platforms that are out there now. And so we're very intentional with our kids. And part of that comes from making a safe space, too, um, mm -hmm. and having those conversations and developing that relationship with them that they they can feel free to ask anything. They can feel free to have doubts and to yeah. question those doubts. And if we don't know an answer, we're going to find it with them. Um, but we also want to equip them with a confident faith. And so that's being intentional in the realm of why do we believe what we believe? And it's, you know, with the statistics of kids leaving the church uh, because of being challenged and not having yeah. answers to why they believe what they believe, this is a necessary component of equipping our kids with a resilient faith. Um, we're very intentional in that there are so many wonderful materials out there to sit down with your families, you know, uh, in addition to God's Word. Spend time in God's Word, but then move on to specific apologetic-related material to get your kids thinking, to get the conversations flowing, um, to be able to have the conversations. Why do you believe what you believe? How do we know God's Word is true? Um, so that they are developing a bold faith to go out and yeah. be bold disciples for Christ. And I think we have a class coming up with the fall. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, a year ago, we, Calvary, rolled out in the pilot launch of Grassroots Apologetics for Parents, which is a worldwide ministry directed at parents um, to equip parents in order to have these conversations and equip their kids with a confident faith. Um, and the general idea is we meet, we cover apologetic-based material in equipping parents, but it's also, we've, we're really blessed in that we have a huge church family, and we welcome anybody to come to the classes, whether you're a parent or not, because it's important material for us as believers and disciples for Christ to go out and take part in the Great Commission. It's part of our evangelism. Um, so this fall, we'll be doing Wednesday nights again, and we're going to go over some Charlie Campbell material. Uh, it's going to be a real minimal outside-of-class stuff. We're going to come together, watch some apologetics content videos, and discuss uh, for eight weeks. So watch for, watch for that if you're interested. Cause it starts awesome. September 15th, I yes. think. And yeah. I've watched a lot of those videos. It's really well done. So I think Cal, uh, Charles is a Calvary guy that yeah. has done yeah. a lot of stuff on that. Okay, we're, we're close out of time, so I want to just wrap the last two questions together. Um, uh, number one is, what has helped you handle disrespectful or unthankful teens or children? And two, what has helped you parent from a position of faith and not out of fear? So either one of those questions, we only have a few minutes left. What, what's helped you in uh, handling disrespectful or unthankful kids? And what's helped you to parent from a position of faith and not out of fear? Either one of those are sort of different questions. I mean, the unthankful, I think, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I, well, just the definition is, they say, you never give me anything. And then five minutes later, they want $500 for driver's ed, right? Yeah, um, it's, I don't know, our kids aren't nearly what I think Gabina and I were to our parents. Um, putting them through the ringer of, everything, you know, drugs, alcohol, not coming home at night. Our kids have been very um, well-behaved in that manner. Um, but yes, this, you know, this sense of entitlement, um, you know, why isn't my cell phone working? You know, can you just go get me another cell phone? I'm like, no, it's, well, now they're like a thousand bucks, but, you know, it's crazy. But it's just, under, we've been very open with our kids about finances, right? Um, we're like, hey, we just don't have it to to do things, right? This is why we don't take family vacations. This is why 
we're driving a beat up car and we let them know the um, the value of a dollar, right? And you know, it, it, it helps it helps them understand, puts things in perspective that they need to be grateful for what we have and that it's not by just by our blood and sweat that we're out here working, but also it's God's grace that He's let us have these jobs, um, that He's always provided for us and just instilling in them that, you know, it's we have to be thankful. Um, our kids were never really disrespectful. Of course, our daughter was in her teenage years where it's like, you know, her and her mom would have an argument and I would have to sit back, but then I would take my daughter and Bianca and be like, you know what? I know that you're heated and you're upset right now, but you don't talk to my wife like that, right? I know she's your mom, but you don't disrespect my wife like that because I respond for her. I respond for my wife and that is not acceptable. And you know, now they're teenage or not their twenties, but we don't we don't want to threaten them, but if they can't live by the rules that we give them, then they need to make a decision, right? Once they get to that age of of um that they could support try to support themselves is that these are still our rules. You have to respect our house, you know, like no drugs, no alcohol, all that stuff um, just can't be into our house. I can't control what happens outside of my house, right. um, but I can't control what comes into my house, and they need to respect that. Yeah. Yeah, I think the question about parenting from fear, I don't know if you want to have anything to say about that, but I was very fearful. I grew up in a background where I was involved in drugs at a young age, and so when our kids were teens, Wendy grew up in, a, in an environment that was healthier and less involved in that. I was terrified. And I think I parented from a position of fear. Yeah, I think it took me a while, but it, to understand, like I had a pretty good relationship with my kids in their teenage years. We um, would have coffee, and I always found, especially with my girls, if you just give them a cup of coffee, they'll just start talking. <laughs> Truth serum. <laughs> <laughs> Truth serum, yeah. Um, but no, I had a sweet relationship with them, so I and I was raised in a Christian home. Um, my mom and dad loved the Lord. And so when I started parenting, I didn't feel that fear that what are my kids going to, how are they going to turn out? I just knew that I loved the Lord, um, and I just tried to instill that in them, in them so I didn't have to parent out of fear necessarily. But I, I knew that he was, and I think that one of the reasons that happens probably isn't across the board, but I think with him, he just really had a fear that he knew. It was almost like he knew in his head that they were going to do the same things he did. And it didn't matter that they had had this completely different upbringing. You know, from day one, they were raised in a Christian home. They um, saw us live in such a manner that was very sacrificial. There were times when we literally did not have any money. Um, we were eating orange tree, oranges and coconuts off of the trees in our backyard. Um, so they were raised so differently, so I just didn't have that fear that they were going to um, walk off the deep end. Now, that's not to say that they did not struggle, um, especially my son. He had some years there which were very difficult for him, but God has been faithful and um, brought him back to the Lord. Um, but yeah, I didn't struggle with that parenting out of fear. I think that just had to, came from my own background. I think the, the, the fear is that these are my children and I have to protect them. That's dad, right? That, that is mom and dad. But it was a middle, little bit of probably a misunderstanding. God is the one that protects my children and, and he's given me as a, put me as a steward. But I mean, I can remember at one point when they, I was just not able to loosen up on any level. And the things that I was too tight on I remember when uh, um, our, one of our kids wanted to go to the prom, and I was like, they're not going to the dance and to the prom, and blah, 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 blah. And uh, friends of ours were telling us about how much fun they had shopping with their kids for the prom. And so fast forward a few years later, um, Justin wanted to go to the prom. And I can remember the difference of going out and shopping with him. And it was the season when everybody sagged their pants. And Justin, it was the first time we'd ever gone shopping where he was like buying pants that he could actually cinch up with a belt. And I don't know. I, I think just parenting out of, out of fear 
it's not gospel-centered parenting because we're trusting God in his work in our kids and not not parenting out of fear. I don't know if you guys have any other comments on that or thoughts. I don't know. Totally agree. I think when we were talking about this earlier, as you mentioned, and it's there are kids on this earth, right? God gave them to us to steward. Yes. They're His. They right. belong to Him. He's entrusted them yeah. to us to point them to Him and to raise them for His glory. Um, so it's keeping that in perspective. And I think as a parent, you do, we we get clouded by the the sinful world we live in and our earthly worries. Um, but if we can keep that eternal perspective, that these are God's children. They're yeah. for his glory, and we need to do all we can to equip them and point them to him. 